Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality, with an emphasis on BDSM kink and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and welcome to Season 3 of our podcast. We have a lot of new and exciting things scheduled for this season, and we're going to kick it off with an interview with Race Bannon. Race is an author and activist. He's been active in the kink scene for... 20 years before I even knew what kink was. So there's a wealth of experience and knowledge there. He is the author of Learning the Ropes, which is a book that he published in the 90s. It doesn't matter if you're straight or gay or just curious about the kink scene in general. It's a fantastic wealth of information from someone who has a rich history in the kink scene, who knows what he's talking about. I cannot recommend that book highly enough. He also publishes articles on his own personal Substack, and I recommend that as well. I will have links to his socials in the comments, and I'll have everywhere this is posted, I'll make sure that I link to all of his information. He's a fantastic human being. Katja and I were fortunate enough to sit down with him and have this interview. And over two hours, we talked about an amazing array of subjects. This first part deals again with his origins in the leather community and talking quite a bit about how the gay fetish scene, the gay kink scene, and the straight fetish and kink scene, how there is so much overlap, but also how there are fundamental differences in how we tend to play together. So I think you'll find that a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, here's our interview with Race Bannon. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for asking. I know that Katya has been especially excited about this. She read your book back in the 90s, and so it was very formative. Yeah, we were we were watching an episode of um, On Guard. That's what it's called, right? On Guard. And I was watching for a little while, and I didn't know anybody's names, any of you who were on there. And then at some point you introduced yourself. I was like, Race Bannon? <laughs> I'm still around. <laughs> That's great that you read the book back then. Yeah, my background, which in some ways I think will be, there's a reason that On Guard feels kind of like going home for me, which is what not what you would expect from like a straight woman, but it, it, it does. We have learned that our On Guard Cigar Salon show has a very high percentage of women watching. Yeah. And people that are not, necessarily part of the lgbtq community either so yeah. it's it's not surprising you you find it interesting we we are a little surprised because we thought it would have a mostly an appeal to the gay male demographic but it's surprisingly got a lot of crossover yeah i've always been very careful to in, be inclusive of you know the lgbtq side of kink but not too inclusive because I don't know. It's not my place to really say this is how it is in that side. But a lot of my viewers, a lot of my fans and, and followers are in the LGBTQ side of kink. And if I ever do misstep, they're very quick to tell me, <laughs> which I, I really appreciate. But at the same time, I want to be inclusive. And I felt the best way to be inclusive was to actually get LGBTQ voices on the show rather than try and say, well, in my experience, it's this. And as I first reached out to you, as a kinkster, I feel more affinity towards you than I would to your average ordinary soccer dad. And I've always been curious why it seems there's such a segregation between the straight kink scene and the gay kink scene. And I was hoping that you could speak a bit to your experience in that. That's a good question, because there are certainly times that it blends. 
And there are certainly times that it's quite separate. It could be somewhat controversial for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I say what I think is true. I think there's a qualitative difference between the way gay men, I'm using gay men specifically, play, socialize, and interact in a leather slash kink environment than heterosexuals do. I actually think they qualitatively different. Um, I'm not setting any above the other. They're just different. So, for example, I think gay men are used to a very overtly sexual environment when mm. it comes to play. And often in a heterosexual scene, that's discouraged when they've been in heterosexual environments, especially play environments. Uh, I've been in some play parties where they have no insertion rules. Yeah. And that is anathema to gay men. They don't understand that at all. They, that's just they don't get it. So there's that. And. I also think that there's something to be said for affinity spaces. Um, I'll give an example. There was, uh, I'm not going to say the group, I name it because it was a private conversation, a heterosexual group on the East Coast. That's as much as I'm going to go. And they pulled me aside at a conference and they said, you know, we're getting a lot of pressure to, we're a play group. That's what we are. We are strictly a play group and we're getting a lot of pressure to let um, gay men and lesbians into our play parties. And we have nothing against gay men and lesbians, but we really try to foster a heterosexual BDSM king play environment. What do you think? And I said, you know what? I think you have every right to have every kind of space you want. I said, so I believe that there is a time and a place for merging, you know, doing stuff together. And there's a time and a place for people to have their own affinity spaces where they can truly be themselves and feel like they can be all that they are in the moment. Um, especially in erotically charged environments where, you know, your orientation matters. I mean, people can say it doesn't, oh, I'm kinky before I'm heterosexual or gay or lesbian or bisexual, whatever. But I think for most kinksters, most players, their orientation leads before their kink. And so I, I think it's understandable that there's some division, you know, between the two. That said, I'm heartened that there's an awful lot of mixing too at conferences, in play environments, um, in you know, bars and social settings, at events. There's a lot of, lot of mixing. Here in San Francisco, we mix a lot. And then we go our separate ways. Then we mix again, and then we go our separate ways. I know San Francisco is a bit of a bubble, <laughs> but, um, but it can be done. I also think it's much more difficult to have affinity spaces where everybody has their own space when you're in a smaller community that has fewer spaces. Yeah. You know, I mentioned that a lot of what you guys talk about on, on Old Guard kind of feels like coming home for me. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about my background. Um, so I got into the kink scene the instant I turned 18. So this was in the, the mid-90s in Atlanta. And, you know, I would say in Atlanta, we had a bit of both of what you're talking about because we there definitely were two separate communities. It was kind of the gay men and then pansexual, right? Kind of everybody else together for their individual groups. But the community really did come together for Southeast Leather Fest, which is kind of the, the big yearly event in Atlanta. And so you would get a lot of mixing for that. And then also I was a title holder, like a leather title holder back then. And at that kind of 
community tier, I suppose, there was even more mixing than, than usual. So I felt really lucky to have the opportunity to have made enough inroads in the, the gay male kink scene that I could show up at the Eagle and hang out with the people who I knew there. And um, there was one really amazing play space. I don't know, were you familiar at all with the Atlanta kink scene in the 90s? A little bit. Have you ever heard of the Sanctuary? Yep. That was like, it doesn't exist anymore, but that I, was, I was my, never there. it was my absolute home that I loved. And it was run by, by Master Doug and his boy. And it was definitely a gay male space. And I think probably more days of the week than not, it was sort of reserved as an affinity space. But I thought they did a great job of also having nights of the week that it was open to everybody. And that was another place that you could go and and really have the opportunity to mix. So yeah, these days I really do miss that because I don't, from my perspective, I don't see as much of that now as I did back back then. I think some of it's a crisis of real estate. I think that we have fewer physical spaces and therefore people that have that space kind of hold on to that space and don't share it as much sometimes. Yeah. Then there's the flip of that. And that is that in some communities, because we have a crisis of real estate, <laughs> they share the space more than they might otherwise because there's only so many spaces to share. And in the interest of inclusion, they try to make sure the space is used by multiple people. We have a, um, a dungeon play space here called Transform 1060. And one night it's a gay men's fuck party. The next night it's a pansexual BDSM party. Um, the next night it's a women's party. The next night it's a, it's a little bit of everything. And personally, I think that's the ideal. If you can mix the communities and the kinks and the interests all together in the same space, but give them their own spaces as well, that's yeah. ideal. So I think it happens, but I think there was a time probably in the 90s. There, there was a moment in time, and I, I, I sync it up with the um, National Leather Association founding and the fact that they had the first living in leather, which was really, I believe, the first time they brought people of all genders and orientations together in one space at one conference and try to collaborate in some sort of meaningful way yeah. um, to educate, to play, et cetera. And I think that there was a lot of energy around that at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that was like my coming of age, right? That's the ideal to me. <laughs> you know, it, how we socialize, how we play, how we construct our events and environments are kind of imperfect always. I think all we can do is try to remain open to the fact that we need to be inclusive. When we have control of spaces that are limited, you know, respect the affinity spaces when they're there. But yeah, I kind of miss some of that energy as well. I think at times it it went to the point of everything must be mixed in, together at all times. And there are people who still stand by that contention that everybody should always be together in every space and that's just the way it should be. I don't happen to agree with that, sure. but um, I think there was a lot of energy in that direction at that time, especially in the 90s. Yeah. I think what you said about affinity spaces, I mean, it, it seems like it would be very nice to have a place where you can go and if you were a leather guy and you, the people in that space are going to get you, they're going to be into your, what you're into. You're not going to be on display necessarily for people that aren't really part of that scene. I can absolutely understand that. I guess what I don't see as much, and so if I go to a drag show, I don't see a lot of straight white guys there. I'll see a, a, a mixed crowd, but I think that straight white guys, or at least my kind of straight white guy, 
feel very threatened in that environment or would feel very threatened in a, a very largely gay space. And the only time that I've seen, you know, really kind of easy mixing would be at a big New Year's Eve party in a larger city where everybody's playing together and it's a very comfortable mix. But if you go to the kink night at the local bar, it tends to be highly, highly segregated. But you do definitely still get these, you know, like Fetish Factory down in Florida or Montreal Fetish Weekend. You definitely get a, a better mix at those events, I would say. And you've got much more experience there than I do. I, I go to a lot of events and and spaces and I go to both things that lean predominantly heterosexual, some that lean um, they're truly pansexual, some that are, you know, certainly a lot of gay male spaces. I obviously don't go to women's spaces because <laughs> I should I shouldn't be there. Um I still think that there's an awful lot of mixing and the word segregation is a little loaded because I think it sure that implies a power dynamic. And I understand it's just a word, but it also feels intentional. Right. And I don't think it's so much intentional as just natural, because like you said, you want to be around people that understand you. And while kinksters understand each other as a whole, as kinksters, there are different people within the kink leather community that aren't alike. And I think that they, they want to be around people that are like them. Sure. Um, it's, it's not unlike a bunch of rubber players wanting to be with a bunch of rubber players. Sure. You know, it's, yeah, they love the leather guys. They love the BDSM, they, whatever, but they want to be with rubber guys. <laughs> they want to be rubbery. <laughs> yeah. They want to be rubber. Um, my dance that I do and I, I both in the communities that I work in and, and just generally when I talk and write is, you need to have a balance. I think that sometimes you need to go off and do your own things. And sometimes you come together. Um, and especially you come together when you're working on things like common community spaces you want to build and develop and things like that. Or, um, you know, I, I'm an old white leather guy and I get a lot of my, not a lot, there's a few of my peers that will go into a leather bar today and go, you know, damn it, it's all this non-leather stuff and it's mixed and it's mixed genders and it's all this stuff. And I said, yeah, but you, I defy you to run a bar today as a pure gay male leather bar and have it survive. Well, it won't. Not in the United States. Yeah, I, I really haven't been into an eagle since then. So I have no idea. Like, I take it from what you're saying that it's not like what I remember. <laughs> no, no. It, it is. Um, let, let's use the San Francisco Eagle as an example, kind of an iconic institution and, and pretty big and, and well-known. One night it will be bluff. Bluff is a very sort of everybody, gay men in full cow. That's, let me put it that way. That's kind of <laughs> what bluff is. Uh, another night it's a cigar party. Recently, there was a, a party there that was specifically for women, which um, was something they've been trying to do for a while. They didn't exclude men from that particular party, but it was there were a lot of women there. And it was, it was kind of cool that they had kind of had their own space. Um, they do a monthly furry party there. Wow. Which I stumbled into by accident. <laughs> and I was fascinated because I had never been to a furry event, like an official furry event. <laughs> yeah. And boy, do they have fun. I mean, it's not my thing, but wow, they they have a really good time. So here's one space, the San Francisco Eagle, iconic leather institution that really can only make it if on different nights they have different kinds of demographics they target. And I think the just the bar scene in general across all, you know, the the United States especially, isn't what it was, you know, not when I was growing up. I don't think people go to bars to hang out, socialize, and meet like they did. And so very specialized bars, like a gay men's leather bar, 
unless you're in a very large city. And even in San Francisco, you're saying they couldn't be a seven days a week only leather bar. They need to branch out and open up. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I see that across the country. Um, Europe is a little different. Um, Europe is significantly different. The spaces are much more separated. It's um, you're, you're much more likely to get um, pure gay male spaces um, for bars and play spaces and things like that than you might be in the States. Um, they just have a different way of looking at sexuality than, than Americans do. But in the United States, I can't think of a single bar that I would call a pure leather bar of any sort that resembles anything close to what some people remember the leather well, days of your being. And the, I mean, I think indicative of that too, is that back in the day, it was the leather community. And I feel like people don't really call it the leather community anymore. They call it the kink community, you know? This is an ongoing debate <laughs> because <laughs> I come obviously from the leather, you know, the, I got in the scene in 72. So I've been in the leather scene for all this time, but I also socialize with an awful lot of younger kinksters yeah. who really don't relate to leather as leather. And I don't mean just the garb, but they don't relate to the the, the ethos of leather necessarily. Yeah. They see it very differently. And I, I think that there's this concept that leather is this huge umbrella term under which all of kinks reside. Right. And I think that that is flipping on its head. Yeah, absolutely. There's this kink community of which the leather ethos, the leather community is a subset. I think I actually think that flipping is going to continue yeah. because I don't think this trend is going to abate at all. And, yeah, um, and, and you know, some of these giant events I've been to, like Fetish Factory down in Florida, they have the Memorial Day weekend. I want to say, I mean, it's definitely several several thousand people. Like they'll sell out an entire huge Hilton in Fort Lauderdale and have an overflow hotel of just kinksters. No leather, all latex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that I think we have to be aware that leather is ridiculously expensive now. <laughs> if you're a young, kinky person, I, I walk out in a shirt, pants, jacket, and I'm walking out in a $1,500 to $2,000 worth of clothing, you know, because sure. they happen to be custom. And to get anything decent fitting, it usually has to be custom. So if I'm this leather guy saying, you youngsters, you should all be in leather and this and whatever, I'm really saying, you should spend all this money to be right. part of my club, if you will. And I don't think that's such a fair thing to do. It's um, gay men, for example, are really big into things like rubber. Wrestling and sports gear is huge in the gay men's community now. In Europe, they have an entire fetish category of sports gear that's very popular. Sneakers. I think they call them trackies. Wait, that's an actual, that's part of the kink scene is fetish for sneakers? Absolutely. Wow. Without a doubt. Without <laughs> That's a, a new one for me. If, if, if you can no, it's, it's, it's huge in, it's really big in European gay culture, kinky cult, gay culture. They've kind of morphed into a different way. Now that said, if you go to Folsom Street in San Francisco, Folsom Street Fair, you will see full leather and everything else and naked and sports gear and silly costumes and just about everything you can think of. You go to the Folsom Europe, it's probably 95% gay men in full cow. I need to it's go a there. very different way. <laughs> Those are my people. <laughs> I mean, you like Folsom Europe. <laughs> <laughs> they might not want me, but <laughs> no, actually, no, I, I actually know the guy that runs Folsom Europe, and they have um intentionally embraced people of all genders and orientations to come. It's not, it absolutely is a gay male event in the sense that that's what you're gonna see predominantly. Yeah. But no, they're they're 
pretty pretty accepting as long as everybody respects the space. It's pretty good. All right, that's on the that's on the bucket list. We gotta go to that. <laughs> I'm absolutely. In so personally, for me, I've never felt excluded or pushed away from any gay themed events. So, and you were quite right to to call them the the segregation thing. It's certainly not an imposed segregation or a you're not welcome here segregation. It would be a self imposed. You know, I don't know if I fit there. I don't know if I would be comfortable or welcome there. Personally, I've always felt quite welcomed in any sort of you know LGBTQ space. Anytime that I've been, you know, fortunate to play in that environment. You know, recently we've thought about attending things going to like IML. IML. And I, I guess my caution would be I don't want to co-opt an affinity space. I don't want to kind of barge in and, oh, we're taking this over now too, just like we take over everything else. I want to be respectful of that space. At the same time, I do feel an affinity for that kind of space. You know, I do enjoy leather, I do enjoy that look and that aesthetic. And I also want to stay in my lane. So I'm trying to to navigate that of being respectful of the leather culture and the scene as a straight guy who has that affinity, but doesn't want to just kind of barge in with my own notions about what this is, et cetera. First, I'm going to make a joke, which is not really a joke, but I mean it. You know, you're both very attractive people. And so <laughs> if you walk into an environment, they're going to go, oh, hot. So there's that. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say about him. He's like, I've always been welcome. I was like, well, look at you. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that, uh, that's why I said both of you are very attractive. So whatever space you might be in where attractiveness would matter, and let's face it, it sometimes does. We, it shouldn't always, but it does. You're going to get that. So I'm just, I'm part joke, part truth. In terms of straight people coming into a gay male space, I think generally, unless it's a play space, then you really have to get like, Overt permission, to, if you will, to sort of be there, sure. in my in my opinion. But if it's a social space of any kind, and IML is mostly a social space, um, uh, you go to the International Mr. Leather IML Vendor Mart, which is the largest kinky vendor mart in the world um, when they constructed it. It's absolutely immense. You'll see people of all genders and orientations walking around shopping because it's the best kink shopping there is. And so met, often they'll just come in for the day and go into the vendor mart and shop. So Every type of person is there. And I think even at some of the, the social events, you see uh, people of all, you know, I'm careful with my language because I say, when I say man and woman, I try to say all genders because sure. I just, I'm just trying to be, sure, sure. be respectful of those that don't fit one another and want to, don't want to be called that. But um, you're seeing a lot more people at those events of different genders and orientations. That said, it does get controversial sometimes. There was a big gay men's leather event that was uh, taken to task because it was felt like, well, you're not including a lot of women in this and that. And the producer was kind of like, well, it's a gay men's event. That's what I started. That's what I wanted. That's what I created was a gay men's event. And we welcome women, but we're not going to cater to women because that's just not our mission. That's not what we do. And I think that's perfectly valid. But most spaces, if you're respectful of them, they're they're going to be totally fine. So I, I don't think there's that big of a deal. That said, out of the 10 to 15,000 people that will be at IML, maybe 100 of them are straight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It is a gay men's event at which other people do attend. A certain number of, you know, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe it's 200. But, but the point is that it's it's definitely a small subset. But with that said, they they interact just fine. Now, if IML all of a sudden was flipped on its head and there were 10,000 heterosexuals at IML, 
and the gay men felt like they were in a minority, they would feel like their event has been collapsed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think most people play nice with each other. It's And it's a good thing. And I go back to the 70s of gay men's leather bars, and there were always a handful of women that were welcome to those spaces because they really kind of respected the space. So there's always been that aspect of inclusion. And that also goes for straight people that would come into gay men's leather bars. And they were very respectful of the space. And so I think there's a way to do it. And, you know, and if somebody gets their whatever in a bunch, then that's too bad. (laughs) And I was just thinking of this as you were mentioning that, because I was thinking, you know, how did I learn what a leather man was. Unfortunately for me, my generation, it would have been the Police Academy movie, The Oyster Bar, you know, played for laughs. laughs. That would have been the first time I was like, oh, there are men who like men and they dress in black leather and this is how they, that would have been my introduction. And outside of that and a couple other, again, unfortunately, usually played for laughs or played for shock value. I can't think of any media depictions of leather, leather men, gay leather scene, that are not played for laughs or played as look how crazy or like maybe CSI. We are. <laughs> you know? Is there any good depiction in popular media of this is a safe, healthy space, by the way? For kind of a classic weatherman, um, in my opinion, no, not really. If you look at how gay men were portrayed in movies and television, mostly movies, um, once upon a time, it was pretty much always the outsider. And not necessarily always in the best of ways. Maybe that, you know, not having a lot of great depictions of Leatherman is the vestiges of that. I don't know. With that said, I think that there's also a lot of people that they might poke fun, but they do it in such a loving way that it's not really an insult. (laughs) Um, Or you have somebody like a a Lady Gaga, who's lots of BDSM and King and a lot of gay male imagery in her music videos, et cetera, that's more of an homage to that's not poking fun at. So I think there are ways that our scene are, are portrayed that that are positive, but mainstream media, typically not, not one of them. So, I mean, in my personal journey, of course, I remember finding that hilarious when I was a kid. It's like, oh, look at this straight guy. He has to dance with this big hairy leather guy. And now I look at Mr. Christopher in his leather outfit. And I'm like, I wouldn't mind looking like that. I think that looks pretty good. I, I think he looks really, really hot in that. Maybe I could look like that. So there's this kind of journey of, you know, played for laughs to an aspirational goal, at least in my case. And again, this is from my outside perspective. It seems like it's a diminishing scene. It seems like there's not, it seems like the leather scene isn't expanding. It's kind of getting more and more niche, seems like. Is that true? Or? I think you're right. I think leather, certainly leather as garb and leather as an identity of leather is waning. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt. What I'd be interested in having you maybe explain to our viewers, I think we have a lot of viewers who really probably don't know why we're spending all this time sort of like lamenting this loss. I don't know if there's a kind of explanation you could maybe give to our viewers about what is leather to you? What, is, what does that mean to you? I think a lot of the perceptions of leather happen because people look back upon a past time when leather was a certain way. So I'll explain. When I got into leather, I walked into a leather bar when I was 17 in Chicago. Gold Coast, one of the most famous leather bars in the world. Sheer dumb luck that I walked into that bar. I was home. Um, It was a sea of men. That was it. Contrary to 
mythology, no, they weren't all dressed in leather. A lot of it, they called them Levi leather bars back then because the Levi component was so strong that they weren't just leather bars. Leather, even back then, was expensive and hard to get. So they might have a leather jacket, a lot of Levi's, but a very butch aesthetic, I will say that. We've changed a lot because gender expression is, is all over the map. And I think that's a good thing because I think people get to do whatever the fuck they want to do. But back then, it was a very hyper-masculine kind of thing. It was highly erotic. Everything was sexualized. Lots and lots of cruising in gay male spaces. Um, we would go to sex spaces and it was always lots of sex, BDSM, other kinds of sex, but it was always with sort of a kinky bent. And it was always purely 100% gay male spaces to the point that at the time it was intentionally exclusionary. If anybody got to the door that was not clearly a gay male. I went to the mine shaft in New York to give you an idea of how much it was filtered. So here I am, a gay man. I, I happen to be a dancer. I moved to New York. I go to the mine shaft, one of the most notorious play spaces that's ever existed in the world ever. And um, so this is New York, Manhattan. And I get to the door and I'm in my 20s and I had just taken a gig where I was kind of preppied up. You know, I, so I was doing a show where I had to look a little more on the preppy side. So I was young, a little on the preppy side. No matter what I was wearing, the doorman said to me, are you sure you know where you are? <laughs> and this went on for 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Finally, he relented. I kind of convinced him, you know, I'm really kinky. I'm really into this, blah, blah, blah. And he let me in. An hour later, he's down in the basement and my arms inside some guy's ass. And so, <laughs> and so he leans down, whispers in my ear. He says, I guess you know where you are. And... <laughs> But that's the kind of, and that was gatekeeping, absolutely gatekeeping, which I know is a bad word now. But also for your safety. I mean, this is a time when, you know, a lot of these activities were highly illegal just to have a gay space like that. I it was illegal to, to be gay sometimes. Um, it was certainly underground to have something that hypersexual and open. That was back in the day when, I mean, I mean Mineshaft was in the meatpacking district of New York <laughs> and literally sides of beef hanging there while you're walking in to a place where you're about to have this raunchy sex. So there was a time when it was very gay. There were absolutely women, lesbians in particular, who were part of the leather scene. They, we sometimes mix, not always. But what a lot of people look back to is they assume that that was some great, perfect time in leather kink history. And it was just a slice in time. Change happens. It's never going to be like that again, ever. <laughs> so it is what it is now. Now you can meet people more easily. The kinks are more diverse. People talk about their kinks more openly. I remember a time, for example, when in the gay men's scene, the BDSM guys and the fisting guys didn't always sync and didn't always share same spaces because they felt like what they did was so different. Now it's all one big kinky bucket. I think it's kind of a good thing that we've kind of moved on from what it was. I miss it. I miss walking into a, a leather bar and seeing 500 gay men all in hyper cruise mode. Me too. And going into the back room and having sex and all that kind of stuff. I miss that, but it's not going to happen again. And we move on and make the best of what we've got. And I think what we've got is pretty damn good. I think whenever we look past, there is that, that glow of nostalgia over what was past. And we tend to filter out some of the bad things that happened and, and romanticize that quite a bit. You know, obviously, I was, I was never part of that scene, so I can only imagine. 
I know that the groups that I'm part of, it is very easy to always look back and go, oh, well, those were our golden times. That was when everything was better. And that was when, and not, not necessarily. No. We're, we're currently living in what will soon be somebody's golden era. So <laughs> we always have to kind of remember that. God, we could go on this, this leather conversation for quite some time. The other fascinating thing when we were listening to the On Guard episode, and I've noticed this in more than one episode, was the progression, it seems like, in the, the gay male scene of kind of moving from being a younger man as a submissive to an older man as a dominant. And when we talked about that, I said, you know, I don't know anybody and I've never seen that really happen in the straight kink scene. Like that just doesn't really happen. And I wanted to get your opinion as, you know, one guy on this. Was that something you experienced? Is that something you've seen? And is that as prevalent a journey as I, it as appears to me listening to you guys on On Guard. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and break the interview in part here. As I was saying in that last bit, the next part of the interview goes on to talk about the progression from subservient to dom and the easy switching that happens in the gay king community that you don't see as much in the straight king community. And I think you guys will find that pretty fascinating. I know that I did. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to ask us, please send that stuff in. I think that this will be a continuing conversation. I would love to have him back on the show. There are so many things that I want to ask him and extrapolate upon based on our one interview that now I just have so many more questions and things that I want to get his take on. As you saw, he's a great speaker and I truly enjoy his point of view on the kink scene and just life in general. Thank you all for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as Katja and I did. And look forward to part two of that interview coming out soon. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And I'll see you next week. Yeah, there's too many, there's too many places to send people for my stuff. <laughs> so it's just easier to say, you know, find me on socials. They can almost always find me. In that list of accreditations, where should I put legend? Should that be at the beginning, <laughs> legendary, or just curious? Uh, I actually...